0: it is episode 26 i can't even believe that of podcast royal hi jessica how are you
1: good how are you we've got uh really great weather here in birmingham Uh this week i've been um working on my little backyard garden. So I am, I've got planted, uh, cucumbers, sage, rosemary, and I've got a few flowers. Um, I need to find a couple other little herbs or things to get planted, but it's coming right along. How's your week been going?
0: It's been really busy. Um, work is steady flow, which is, you know, what you want when you're a freelancer. I don't even know if I, said this on the podcast, but I went full-time freelance on April 30th. So the work has been steady and that makes me happy. Um, I'll get into this in a second on the, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So this is late breaking news. I don't want to talk about it, but I have, I feel like we have to break this news. The queen's five month old dorgie puppy Fergus has died. Oh my and, God. you know, remember she got Fergus and Mick, the little puppies. And I don't know what happened to Fergus. I don't even want to talk about it, but there's your late breaking news. Let's move on to something else. Um, Like literally five minutes ago before we started reporting, I found out about it. If you know anything about Jessica and I, you know that we are like diehard animal lovers. And I just, it's just too much for one person. She's just having a really hard go of it. So our hearts go out to the queen. I just, I hope she gets more puppies. And I
1: had not heard that. I'm, I'm hearing it just now as you're sharing it with me. So that is super sad. Just,
0: It just broke. So I don't want to stay here for long. Cause we have some really happy things like Royal wedding cakes to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said the news and now let's, you know, get back in a good mood and and move on with the show but I hate that oh my gosh but anyway okay so before we get started you know the you know the drill by now follow us on Instagram at podcast royal there's a lot of royal wedding dress content on our Instagram right now I have a feeling there will be a lot of royal wedding cake content after this episode drops so you don't want to miss it so follow us on Instagram at podcast royal Email us at hello podcast royal at gmail.com. We sure do appreciate getting emails from you listeners. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps us get found, helps us get more listeners, and that makes us happy. So, this royal rundown is going to be very intentionally short because I want to learn more about Royal Wedding Cakes and Jessica (laughs) has that content cover so first off happy belated birthday to Zara Tindall who turned 40 this past Saturday Um, that post on our Instagram is just doing so well so there's apparently a lot of Zara Tindall lovers out there and why wouldn't there be because she's great so I know
1: that and I actually <laughs> kind of laughed. I was like, what is going on
0: here? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a marked difference in like people love Zara Tyndall, I guess. So um, and so do we. So maybe in the future we'll have to do more Zara content. I don't know. But anyway, happy belated, slightly 40th birthday. And likely the biggest royal news story of the week was of course Prince Harry in his foray back into podcasting so he and Megan appeared on the teenager therapy podcast and he and Megan launched Archival audio kind of they did like the teaser and then a holiday special and then we haven't heard from them since December so I don't really know what's going on with that but anyway uh, Prince Harry was uh, the guest on Dax Shepard's armchair expert podcast which is one of the best podcasts other than Podcast Royal, of course, out there. So Jessica, did you have a chance to listen it, it, It's quite a long episode. It's about an hour and 36 minutes.
1: Yes, I did listen to it. And you're <laughs> right, it was quite lengthy. Um, and, and funnily enough, when you were just talking about it, I was actually thinking in my head, are we going to address the fact that Harry has done more for this than his own podcast?
0: Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I there has to be a reason for this, but I don't know what it is. And I was like, you know, if you wanted to promote the me you can't see which comes out on Friday, May 21st, why don't you do it on your own podcast? You have that's, your own podcast.
1: Yeah, that's actually such a good point. Like what a great strategy. Um I don't know why he didn't do that.
0: I have no idea what happened. I actually like haven't even checked my spot like that, like Archival Audio on Spotify, in a long time. I'm assuming there's no other episode. I, I know I would have heard about it, but right. I think I, I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, so he took his podcasting talents to Dak Shepard, an armchair expert. The episode is really quite long, so there is a lot to unpack. So for the full picture, hop over to them, of course, finish our episode first, and you can take a listen yourselves but here are some highlights. So uh, I think this is cute. Apparently the first time Megan visited the UK to stay with Harry, they met up in a supermarket pretending they didn't know one another and texted one another from the other side of the aisle asking where of all things the parchment paper was. (laughs) I don't know what they were doing with parchment paper, I guess, but Hey, whatever works for you. So he also spoke about wanting to quit royal life as far back as his early 20s and how three moments in his life made him feel, quote unquote, completely helpless. And those were when he was a child in a car with his mother, Diana, being chased by paparazzi in a helicopter while serving in Afghanistan. And when Megan, his wife, was suffering. He also said therapy changed things for him saying, quote, once I started doing therapy, it was like the bubble was burst. I plucked my head out of the sand and gave it a good shake off. And I was like, you're in this position of privilege. Stop complaining and stop thinking you want something different. Make this different because you can't get out. How are you going to do these things differently? How are you going to make your mom proud and use this platform to really affect change? He continued, we are born into different lives, brought up in different environments, and as a result, are exposed to different experiences. But our shared experience is that we are all human. The majority of us carry some form of unresolved trauma, loss, or grief, which feels and is very personal. Yet the last year has shown us that we are all in this together. And my hope is that this series, meaning the Me You Can't See, which comes out on Friday the 21st will show there is power and vulnerability, connection and empathy and strength in honesty. Of life in California, he said, quote, here I can actually lift my head and I feel different. My shoulders have dropped. So has hers, of course, talking about Megan. You walk around feeling a little bit more free. I get to take Archie on the back of my bicycle. I never had the chance to do that. So Jessica, did you have any other takeaways from the interview he also talked about um doing better for his kids I'm 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 not quoting I'm I'm just riffing here but doing better for his kids not carrying on old family trauma so what other takeaways did you have well I had a few
1: I mean he did I did enjoy hearing some of his comments just about life now in California of course it's always fun to hear the little stories uh but I was going to ask you about that comment um did you feel like that was sort of an insult to her majesty saying that um you know Prince Charles essentially repeated the pattern as as the way he was treated and and it was up to him to break this cycle or how did you take that
0: I mean I wouldn't call it an insult but I mean, I would call it the truth and, you know, it's been widely reported that the queen was really not around from a whole lot of Charles and Anne's early years. And, um, you know, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, it seems to just be the truth. And again, this is a completely different time i'm not defending it but this is in the late 40s early 50s and we certainly didn't have the handle on mental health that we do today and she was doing her job and her job often took her around the world and she took philip with her and i think she realized some of it again like who am I to I'm not even a parent so who am I to judge anyone's parenting much, much less her majesty but I think by the time she had so the four kid, her four kids are like in two groups right you've got Charles born in 1948 and born in 1950 and then you have Andrew born in 10 years later in 1960 and then Edward in 1964 so you kind of have two groups of kids Mm -hmm. and I think that by the time Andrew and Edward came around she had learned some things and approached parenting quite differently but she was so young when Charles was born she was only 26 and I just you know I mean
1: yeah I mean you know I don't think it was an obvious call out um but you know, to your point, I think she had quite the responsibility on her hands more than anything can relate. And I think she did the absolute best that she could with the tools that she had. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully, hopefully it wasn't taken that way. Um, what, what he said, but I was kind of curious to get your thoughts on that.
0: Well, and And we all know that Harry has the utmost respect for his grandmother. I mean, he said that a hundred different ways. And so I don't think it was meant as a cheap shot. I just think that it's a part of Harry's story and his trauma. And I'm very interested to see all that he discloses in the me you can't see. So we've seen a trailer for that and it looks to be pretty raw. And so we'll, we'll chat about that next week on the podcast. But of course, Harry appeared on armchair expert to promote the series with oprah which premieres again i feel like i should be getting um ad revenue for for this because i think this is the fourth time i've said it which premieres on apple tv plus on friday may 21st there's my ad choice
1: i um you know we can't get out of here without mentioning the obvious i um i think a lot of this i think my biggest takeaway on this podcast episode was everything is really from Harry's perspective Um, and, and, you know, right or wrong, that's his perspective. And and we all know he called out the First Amendment in the podcast um, and it's gotten quite a lot of buzz in the media. Um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, too. Um, You know, like I said, I think I'm not going to repeat the quote because I'm sure everyone's heard it by now. And I read through it and I was trying to determine what I think he was trying to get at and again I think he was speaking from his own perspective and I assume that is he does not like the media being able to talk about his life and print stories about him and and that was the perspective that he was taking um when he said what he said but um you know the first amendment is really really important to all Americans it is the foundation of of our country and, and of our American values and I feel like my you know my first takeaway from this was as Americans we are often called out by people in other countries as being ignorant or um, insensitive to other cultures and I feel like he put himself in that position with this one I, I feel like he kind of made himself look ignorant to um to American history and values in this. I mean, to really just say that he didn't understand it, but it was bonkers, I think rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And, you know, for our listeners, if you guys aren't in the US, um, the First Amendment so it establishes our right to free speech, um, it also establishes our, our freedom of religion. Um, And I, you know, I think there are a lot of people in countries across the world that are very oppressed, and they don't have freedom of religion or freedom of speech, and they would absolutely love being in the US and having that right. So um, I think, you know, I don't know what the backlash is going to be from that, but I do think he misspoke in, in that comment. Did you
0: have any thoughts on that, Rachel? Well, okay, so you're going you're gonna to laugh at me. So I listen to my podcast and I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I listen to podcasts on 2X speed. <laughs> so, so, so sometimes I miss things and I don't even remember this. <laughs> so can you, I, I know you said you didn't want to repeat it, but can you kind of clarify what he said? I, I actually have seen, on different blogs and uh, Facebook groups and stuff, I've seen some backlash about this. But can you clarify what he, he called it? Bonkers, she said. He did, yes. Yeah. So let me
1: uh, let me see if I can pull up the quote. Um, give me just one second here.
0: Well, yeah, sorry, putting you on the spot. So I um, I listen to so many podcasts in a day that to get through them, I have to listen to them on two X. And I get most of the content, but I don't remember this being said. And so maybe I don't know what I was doing at the time when I was listening to it. But (laughs) while you're doing that, um, today, May 19th, is Harry and Meghan's third wedding anniversary. (laughs) So happy anniversary to the Sussexes. Um, And as soon as we clarify this First Amendment quote, it's all Jessica's world for uh to chat about royal wedding cake so did you find it
1: yes so so he says i don't want to start sort of going down the first amendment route because that's a huge subject and one in which i don't understand because i've only been here a short period of time but you can find a loophole in anything and you can capitalize or exploit what's not said rather than uphold what is said I've got so much to say about the First Amendment, as I sort of understand it, but it is bonkers. Um, So first of all, I feel like the entire quote was sort of confusing. Like, I was like, wait, what did he you know that you're going to
0: open Pandora's box? Just don't bring it up. Maybe. so is this how people works. in the uk feel is this how people in the uk feel like i feel very protective i mean this is a podcast about the british royal family but i feel very protective of my home country and so i wonder if <laughs> i wonder if this is how people in the uk feel about megan sometimes like hey watch it like don't don't try to come in here and tell me about my first amendment
1: yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree. And I think I think you're right about that. Um, I do think there are a lot of Americans who uh, kind of stopped in their tracks when they heard this. And I feel like maybe that is uh, how, how people in the UK feel about Megan sometime. But um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard comments that people have said, you know, if he's not careful, he's going to have people, you know, in the UK and in the US who are, uh, you know, kind of over some of the, the comments that he's made. But um, yeah, it was, you know, I had to read it a couple of times and I was like, what is he trying to say? And I, and I think what he's trying to say is he doesn't like that people can can go out and say things about him on social media or, or online or, or whatever. But there's so much more that goes into that uh, First Amendment. And I, I think he kind of just, uh, like you said, probably
0: should have kept his mouth shut. Yeah, you can't like, again because i know harry and megan listen to this podcast every week so harry love you so much but you just cannot start talking about the first amendment unless you are ready to back it up my friend like just word word of advice i wonder how that uh how that conversation went with Megan when he got home. And he was like, hey, so they brought up the First Amendment. I kind of called it bonkers. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? And so I don't know. Wow. I, I don't know how I missed that part. So apparently if you want to miss juicy stuff, listen to podcasts too fast. That yeah. is, uh, yeah, wow. They
1: probably made an emergency call to like a U.S. history professor or something. And they were like, <laughs> hey, we've got to get uh, Harry enrolled in class.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. Okay. I need to think on that one. Um, that listeners go go listen to the armchair expert interview, but not until Jessica's finished talking about royal wedding cakes. So we started our royal wedding content last week with royal wedding dresses. I went way down the rabbit hole and took up all of our time, and so we've split the content into two parts and. I want to hear about some royal wedding cakes.
1: Well, I'm glad you want to hear about wedding cakes because I want to talk about them. I'm really (laughs) excited. (laughs) I'm super excited about this uh, segment today. It's been um, actually something that we've talked about doing for a while and it's been kind of on hold. So um, today we're going to highlight some of the most impressive cakes of the royals um, and we'll run through top tips on ordering your own cake whether that's a wedding cake or a birthday cake or you've got some other special event um so let's go ahead and get started
0: before you do I think this is a very appropriate time to insert that Friday May 21st is my sweet mother's birthday I won't say I almost said her age so I (laughs) I caught myself but um maybe I will use some of these tips to get her a birthday cake because I better do that because that's in three days so happy birthday mom I love you Yes,
1: happy birthday. Um, Okay, so first off, let's talk about cakes and what you can typically expect when you attend a royal wedding. So a couple of quick facts here. Um, Royal cakes are showstoppers and rightfully so. They are beautiful, intricate, often extremely large, and they take significant time and manpower to create. So a few quick facts. They are typically large enough to feed 2,000 guests. They are designed to reflect the unique likes and personalities of the couple and they often take hours and even weeks to prepare. So jumping right in, we are going to take it way back. Rachel, I know you took it way back on the wedding dresses. Um, We're going to do that with cakes too and we're going to go all the way back to Queen Victoria and Prince Albert's wedding cake. I didn't take it that far back. Wow. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, um, wedding cakes did exist even back in 1840 when these two got married uh, but they weren't really the norm for everyone at the time and it's actually been said that this was the wedding that really popularized wedding cakes um, as an expected part of most weddings so victoria and albert chose a three-tier fruit cake frosted with royal icing um, and i'll say a quick note here you'll see fruit cake um, referenced several times throughout this segment it's a popular choice for um, royal weddings so their cake believe it or not even in 1840 was really big it weighed 300 pounds wow. it included busts of victoria and albert on the top it featured cupids turtle doves orange blossoms and sprigs of myrtle And in Victoria's diary, she actually wrote of her wedding day, How can I ever be thankful enough to have such a husband? Uh, And then she went on to say, This was the happiest day of my life. And we know the couple went on to have nine children together. So I would say they were both pretty happy. According to an article, I still can't get
0: over that. I just said a 300 pound cake. I still can't get over that.
1: I know, and according to an article I read online, a slice of their cake was actually preserved and sold at an auction in 2016 for 1,500 pounds.
0: I thought it would go for a lot more than that if it had been preserved since 1840. My gosh.
1: I know. I mean, I'm actually shocked it was preserved for that long, um, and I hope whoever bought it didn't eat it. Oh, gross. no. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Alright, so we'll, we'll move up a little bit here and we'll talk about Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. Their cake was a whopping nine feet tall. Uh-huh. It was four tiers and it weighed 500 pounds. It looked like a traditional wedding cake. Um, each tier was separated by columns and there was a spray of flowers on top. Um, And their cake was also a traditional wedding fruit cake. It was made by McVitie and Price with ingredients that were shipped in from around the globe. Um, And because of that, the cake was actually given the nickname the 10,000 mile cake. One of the ingredients was actually sugar that was shipped in from Australia. And the cake featured images of Elizabeth and Philip's favorite activities. I don't know about putting pictures of activities on my wedding cake, but to
0: each that yeah, for me you'd put like books um <laughs> maybe uh like some shopping bags um <laughs> a crown for the royals that's interesting okay i bet you there is a horse on that cake oh i'm sure I'm totally sure
1: so all right let's move on to prince charles and princess diana this couple actually served 27 cakes at their wedding but the interesting thing about it is most of these cakes were donated by fans of the couple who wanted to support their special day did you know that oh 27 cakes yeah um made by random people um so they did however have an official wedding cake um and that cake was made by chef David Avery of the Royal Navy Cookery School it was five feet tall, and it weighed 255 pounds. Um, it was decorated with the family's coat of arms, the couple's initials, and a spray of roses, lilies of the valley, and orchids. And this cake was also made of fruitcake. So the thing about fruitcake is that it preserves really well, and it lasts a long time. Um, so that's why many royals have chosen this for their wedding cakes. And I guess um, Albert and Victoria are a great example of that.
0: Yeah, like almost 200 years later. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. So moving along to Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson or Fergie, as you may know her. Um, this is another couple who went with fruitcake um, and the assembled cake that they chose stood at five feet tall and it consisted of 15 ingredients, which to me for a five foot tall royal wedding cake doesn't sound like a lot of ingredients, does it? it really doesn't um and three of the ingredients were rum brandy
0: and port (laughs) they're having a good time at their wedding reception everybody was
1: (laughs) so the cake was made by navy supply school hsm raleigh um it was large enough to be cut into 2,000 slices in keeping with the general rule that i shared earlier and interestingly okay this is i thought this was pretty cool Because the cake was made in Cornwall and it had to be transported to London for the wedding, they actually made two cakes and one was backup in case the original cake didn't survive the trip to the wedding.
0: That is interesting.
1: I mean, can you imagine uh, the cost and the time that would go into making two of those?
0: Oh my gosh. And then what, like, what do you do with the other one? Like, let's say the original one made it. What happens with the? With the other cake, I guess you just eat it.
1: I guess. So Prince Edward and Sophie's wedding was in in 1999. And this couple actually broke tradition. Um, And they went with a devil's food cake for their wedding rather than fruit cake. And I have to say that that sounds pretty delightful to me. I'm a big chocolate lover. So I'm wondering, Rachel, would you do something like chocolate or would you go more traditional fruit cake?
0: no. I'd probably go more traditional although chocolate cake sounds really good right now too um, I'd probably wouldn't do the fruit cake though I'd probably just do like a white cake you know and like I'm just thinking like when we when mom and I watched Harry and Megan get married in 2018 three years ago today actually um, I got Gigi's cupcakes the wedding the wedding flavor or whatever and that's that white cake traditional white cake um that's probably what I'd go with but I, okay so if I'm thinking fruit cake or devil's food cake I don't know I might do devil's food cake because fruitcake just I don't know I mean I'm not yes. I'm not one to turn down cake so I would definitely
1: love to try a royal wedding fruit cake
0: I know I mean it's just such a time-honored tradition and it has to be amazing because it's been done for so long so well
1: the chocolate lovers delight that Edward and Sophie went with um, was actually seven tiers, and it stood 10 feet tall I feel like these cakes keep getting taller and taller Um, it was made by Linda Fripp and it took 515 hours to create the cake featured daffodils to reflect Sophie's Welsh roots and to make it extra personal, it was topped with tennis rackets in honor of the first time the couple met, which was at a tennis fundraising event in 1993. So, another like sweet, but also kind of weird <laughs> addition to that is,
0: That's That's kind of weird, but I do like a sentimental touch. So, yeah.
1: So, next on our list, we'll look at Prince Charles' wedding to Camilla, which was in April of 2005. I had to do a little digging on this one when I was researching because I kept finding two different women named as the maker of their wedding cake. So I actually finally discovered that there were in fact two women who made cakes for the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall special day. I um, thought people were getting names confused, but, but there were two. So first up, we'll start with Etta Richardson. In 2004, Charles visited a Welsh village where he tasted a fruit cake made by a lady named Etta Richardson. And it must have made quite the impression on him because she was contacted by the palace ahead of Charles and Camilla's wedding and was asked to make a fruit cake by special request from Charles. But at the time, she had no clue that it was going to be for his wedding cake. So she made 20 fruitcakes to be served at the wedding reception. Um, and she and her family actually ran a small family business baking cakes out of their home. So following the wedding, when she learned all of this, um, her family business began selling her fruitcake at a local market and they named it
0: Etta's Royal Cake. As, that- they should. As they should. Ma- market that, Etta. Make all that money. Yep. So the other um, cake
1: maker for their wedding was uh, Don Blunden of Sophisticate in Lincolnshire, which is actually where my mom is from. I've mentioned that oh. a few times. Um, Don made the larger, I guess, official wedding cake for the couple, and it was also a fruit cake. Um, it was covered in fondant. It weighed 240 pounds, and it featured sugar roses, daffodils, thistles, Charles Crest and the letter c for both charles and camilla and i guess cornwall (laughs) um (laughs) a lot of c's with that couple um but it was a square cake and it was just two tiers which um i guess was sufficient given they had 20 other cakes made by (laughs) edit
0: this is why is this so fascinating to me this is so interesting
1: it really is I I mean I really enjoyed putting this stuff together um okay so let's go ahead and, and jump to a wedding that we all remember very well because most of us royal watchers were tuned into the live broadcast soaking up this fairy tale moment um if you're guessing the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge you are correct and we know they just celebrated their 10th wedding anniversary as we discussed last week So the Cambridge cake was very traditional looking it was an all white wedding cake, it was quite the stunner. Um, they also kept with royal British tradition and had the classic wedding fruit cake which was made by Fiona Cairns. So their cake surprisingly was only three feet tall, but it was eight tiers and decorated with fondant and white royal icing, which included very intricate piping detail. Um, Fiona had quite a big team working with her to complete this cake. It actually took 50 chefs five weeks to prepare this cake. And it featured 900 sugar flowers, leaves, bows, and ribbons. Um, 17 additional sugar flowers were added in honor of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, which were Sweet William and Myrtle, both of those being a symbol of love and marriage. And as a special surprise to Kate, a piece of lace from her wedding dress was provided to Fiona and was copied onto the cake. Um, It took two and a half uh, days to assemble the cake and it weighed 220 pounds. So I thought that was a really special cake. What do you think?
0: Oh yeah. And so Sweet William and Myrtle as we mentioned last week, we're also in Kate's bouquet. So it kind of all goes full circle and ties it all up with a bow. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I, I love putting a copy of the lace on the cake. I feel like I would definitely go that route over tennis records.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs>
1: So we mentioned this in a recent episode, uh, but there was also a special groom's cake for William, which was his favorite chocolate biscuit cake. Um, You might remember this is also a favorite of Queen Elizabeth's and it's made with layers of biscuits or cookies as we call them in the US and chocolate covered in chocolate icing. The groom's cake was made by McVitie's Cake Company, which is the same people who made Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip's wedding cake. Uh, but in the 1940s, they were called McVitie and Price. So I thought that was kind of a cool little, yeah, that. cool little throwback. Um, so on to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. Now this is a cake that looked much more like a modern day wedding cake Uh, to me. I could imagine seeing a very similar cake at weddings I've attended. You know, we've uh, talked about how the wedding cakes are very personal and often reflect the unique personalities of the couple. And of course this one is no different. Uh, The couple chose Violet Cakes to make their showstopper wedding cake. So Violet Cakes is a bakery in London It's owned by Claire Tack, who is actually American and was raised in California, but she's now based in the UK, and she is known to use seasonal and organic ingredients in her baking, which sounds a lot like Megan to me. Um, And fun fact, Megan actually interviewed Claire once for her blog, The TIG. Did you know that?
0: Oh, I think that's interesting.
1: It really is. I don't know what the... uh, interview was specifically about, uh, or what they talked about, but I thought that was pretty cool. cool. So the wedding cake was another break from tradition in that uh, the couple didn't go with the usual fruitcake option. They chose a lemon sponge cake drizzled with elderflower syrup. Um, If you're not familiar with that, elderflower um, has a floral perfumey flavor. Um, it's been described actually by Jamie Oliver as tasting musky and sweet, which I think is a really interesting description. Um, the cake was topped with a lemon curd and frosted with fluffy white buttercream icing. It took five days to pre- uh, to prepare, and it included 200 Amalfi lemons, 500 organic eggs from Suffolk, and 10 bottles of Sandringham elderflower cordial. It featured 150 fresh flowers, including peonies and roses. Um, And there were three individual cakes on gilded cake stands from the Royal Family's collection. It was decorated on site um, the morning of the wedding. And I mean, I really, you know, looks wise, this is uh, one of my more favorite cakes. Have, Have you, you've seen the picture of this cake, haven't you, Rachel?
0: Yeah, but it's been, it's been a long time. So we need to post some photos of these cakes on Instagram. Do a cake dump, kind of like I did a wedding dress dump.
1: Oh yeah, we totally will. We'll share them this week. And I would love to hear our listeners opinions on their favorites and the ones that they don't really care for as much too. So let's move ahead to Princess Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank. So while uh, Harry and Megan had a spring wedding, Eugenie and Jack had an autumn wedding and their cake reflected the seasonal feelings of fall. So this couple also broke with tradition and they went with a more modern cake flavor. They chose red velvet and chocolate. Um, I think that's a perfect fall flavor combination. That, is,
0: that sounds delicious. Red velvet is my favorite kind of cake.
1: Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I love red velvet. So theirs was a five-tier cake featuring a classic autumn color scheme of reds, oranges, yellows, and greens. Um, it was made by Sophie Cabot. It included 400 eggs, 53 packs of butter, and 44 pounds of sugar. And this cake-
0: That's a lot name- of freaking butter. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, yes yeah. <laughs>
1: This cake might actually take the cake for the preparation period. I see what you did there. I see
0: what you did there. Yeah, did
1: you like that? (laughs) Yeah, I do. So prep for the October event began in July, when Sophie started sell, uh, creating her sugar flowers. Um, she created ivy, acorns, and maple leaves also to adorn the cake. And the cake also featured the couple's uh, initials along the bottom tier, and set. it was set atop a uh, gilded cake stand. So the ivy in the cake decor was actually a nod to Ivy Cottage at Kensington Palace, which is where the couple first lived after they were married.
0: Those are the details that I live for. I love that.
1: Oh yeah, I love it. I love it. So lastly, I want to highlight one more wedding cake, which is actually outside of the British royal family, um, because we just talked about this family a few episodes back, and they had. I mean, Rachel, you think we've talked about some interesting cakes. They had quite the stunning cake. Another April wedding, Prince Rainier and Grace Cully of Monaco, married in 1956. And their wedding cake was made by pastry chefs from Monte Carlo's Hotel de Paris. Um, It was a very tall cake, and the top two tiers were constructed with a built-in bird cage that contained (laughs) two live turtle doves. But wait, it gets better. When the couple cut into the cake with the prince's sword, the doves were released from the cage. (laughs)
0: What? (laughs) I don't want to hear any of y'all saying Megan is so Hollywood anymore. Grace Kelly takes the cake again pun intended for most dramatic hollywood actress marrying a prince well the top tier of the cake also featured
1: revolving miniature figures of the bride and groom and it played music uh the songs that it played were ave maria and the wedding march so wow and this is in 1956 no i know
0: (laughs) wow you're gonna have to post a picture of that cake
1: i will i'll find one and share it
0: gosh wow
1: so that was fun um did you have a do you have a favorite of all the royal wedding cakes
0: I'm gonna have to go with Harry and Meghan's just because it is just so much like what I think I would choose you know mm-hmm. um yeah. but I mean I gotta taste test all these cakes to really make that like I don't care what a cake looks like look I've made many a cake that looked terrible like terrible but it as long as it tastes okay then you know and I'm sure uh, I would just love to like be on that sample platter cake tasting menu Uh, of all of these cakes the fruit cake the red velvet and that sounds incredible that sounds so good
1: yeah, I do. I do really. I think if I were attending the weddings, I would love to try Eugenie's cake. Um, I think if it were for my own wedding, I would probably say like you and and go more the route of Harry and Megan. But I think if I were marrying into the royal family, I would go the Kate and William route just to have that classic um, fruit cake. I mean you know, come on a prince and princess, you got to go classic, right?
0: Well, yeah. And they kind of, you know, they kind of had to do that. Like so much of what William and Kate do is because they really kind of had to, right? Like tradition. Mm -hmm. But um, I want to try William's groom's cake, that chocolate biscuit cake. I want to try that.
1: Me too. We should look for a recipe. Yeah.
0: We need to make that because that sounds, that actually sounds like a cake I could make. Like as long as cakes don't have to look pretty, I mean, I can make them taste good, right? Like all you need is like eggs, butter, sugar to make it taste good. Um, But I can't promise a pretty cake, but it sounds like that doesn't have to be super pretty.
1: (laughs) So now that we've covered royal wedding cakes, I want to share a few tips with our listeners of things to consider when choosing a cake for your event, um, whether that's a wedding or a, a special party or other type of event. So I've got five little tips for you. So first off, this might sound obvious, but again, go with what you love. Um, We've kind of talked about that a little bit. While it seems like a no-brainer, I do think most people actually end up choosing a cake based on the masses and overlook their special preferences. So if you eat a plant-based diet, have a vegan cake at your event. If you have special dietary needs, like you have to eat gluten-free or you prefer all organic ingredients, find a bakery that can accommodate those requests and um, they do exist you know go for it and i can't imagine there is a reputable bakery out there that would make a bad tasting cake Um, so i say go for it so number two um think outside of the box you know you don't have to stick to the cookie cutter traditional cake with stacked tiers Uh, Brides.com actually lists several alternative cake options that I thought were really cool. And I wanted to share a couple for our listeners to kind of give you guys some ideas. So a few non-traditional cake options include cinnamon rolls stacked into a cake, um, a giant Rice Krispie Treat cake, cheesecakes, brownies, a churros cake, miniature fruit pies, cannolis, bundt cakes. Or if you want to be really different, if if sweet is just not your thing and you want to go the savory route, you could actually get super creative and do an assortment of cheese <laughs> arranged in tiers that kind of <laughs> resemble the shape of a big cake. I know that sounds funny. but right. really Okay, cool.
0: now look, I agree with <laughs> tip number one where you should do it your own way, but come God, if
1: I'm the coming right to your event, wedding, Rachel a big charcuterie cake would be delicious
0: <laughs> if I'm coming to your wedding you, no, I'm, I'm all for you having a cheesecake for your dessert I'm not, I don't know how I feel about you having cheese for for your dessert um so I, I can't don't invite me to your wedding if <laughs> <to do that. laughs> um but okay I have one more to add to this list I went to a wedding once where they had cupcakes and that was actually really really good
1: yeah yeah I I have seen that done as
0: well oh, I also went to a wedding where uh the bride just like really loved donuts like that was just like her thing um whatever and yeah. so and she so she had donuts and so yeah what, i, I I can get behind that, but look, I'm looking for a sweet treat here. I don't want cheese for my dessert. I just don't. I love cheese, but not for dessert. I, I've
1: been to a wedding before with donuts as well, and that was pretty good. But, you know, I mean, we're, we're not just talking weddings here. It could be it could be another party, but um, okay. So going off of that, um, According to brides.com, also, there are, of course, countless flavor options. And there were some mentioned on their website that kind of stood out to me as being particularly unique and intriguing. So I'll be curious to hear your opinion on these as well, Rachel. But I'll list them out really quick peanut butter cup, coconut guava with passion fruit curd, caramel apple with brown sugar mousse, salted caramel, bananas foster with rum and cinnamon coffee cream with kalua ganache, key lime, and sultry chocolate with Cabernet curd and fresh raspberries.
0: I think the only flavor out of those that I've not tried is the coconut guava with passion fruit curd. I have no idea what that would taste like, um, but I mean, it sounds good, right? And all the rest of them, all of the rest of them are amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not a super big coconut fan. Uh, like of so coconut. Probably, probably wouldn't go that route. I was really intrigued by the chocolate with Cabernet curd and raspberries, though. So.
0: Why Why do we always record these episodes when I'm starving? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, literally, I'm going to make bad food choices tonight because of this episode. <laughs> I want all of this. Like, key lime pie. Ugh, all of it. I want it all.
1: So... Number three is, of course, something we've talked about this whole episode, but incorporate a meaningful element into your cake. So again, it's really common to see initials, flowers, fruit on cakes, and and those are really, really beautiful. They're selected as decor for a reason, because they're eye-catching, they have natural beauty, um, and there's really nothing wrong with putting those on your cake. I mean, they're a great choice, um, but... I encourage our listeners to try to put some significance into the elements you choose, even if it is fruit or flowers. Um, So, for example, um, you might select flowers that um, you were first given by your spouse to go on your wedding cake. Um, Maybe you choose colors for the cake that reflect what you wore on your first date. Uh, when I think of unique elements that really stick out to me, again, um, I, I really think of Kate's wedding dress lace copied onto her cake, or the sweet William sugar flowers um, adorning her cake. Also, think of Eugenie and Jack's cake with the ivy in honor of Ivy Cottage at Kensington Palace, um, and again, the tennis rackets. You know, they're weird, but I remember them, um, and they're meaningful. So. Uh, The really great part about the unique elements on a wedding cake are when people ask you about them. I mean, they make great conversation topics and they're a great way really to remember the special parts of your relationship and it'll kind of live on in your photos and you will always have that memory. I think grooms are often really good about incorporating something meaningful in their cake. The groom's cakes are always super interesting to me but I feel like the main showstopper wedding cake is overlooked when it comes to that meaningful aspect. You know, I think people choose elements that are pretty and maybe reflect something they've seen online or in a magazine, but they don't always have a personal meaning. So definitely think about that the next time you're choosing a cake for whatever kind of event you've got going on. Rachel, do you have uh, an event in in your life where you've um, had like a really cool, meaningful
0: cake? I'm just thinking, I mean, look, my last birthday was a COVID birthday and I'm just thinking about how we got. And I, also, I was like really, really deep in eating healthy at that point. I've since fallen off the wagon, but, um, we just got a little cake at Publix and it was really good. It was really good. But I mean, look, I am positive that my mom has, my mom will kill me if I do not recognize all the effort I'm sure she put into meaningful birthday cakes of mine throughout my childhood. Um, but I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, I I just, I mean, I'm, they're all meaningful, right? Because they're my birthday cake. But uh, do you have something in mind? I feel like you have something in mind.
1: Not really. I mean, you know, every year we always, uh, you know, as a kid would go to the bakery and pick out some really cool decoration on the cake. You know, it was decorated to look like, you know, something that we were really into at the time. Um, I did go through a couple of phases in like i guess after high school college early adulthood where i wasn't really into the cake um like birthday cakes they're, they're not really my favorite dessert so i did a chocolate chip cookie cake several times and i also did cheesecake several times and i'm oh, a really big fan of this
0: you know i'm i'm thinking right now of my of my 25th birthday and my roommate at the time Um, Hi, Mary, in case you're listening, love you. She um, was a, she was a pastry chef. And so she made the most delicious pedophores, you know what a pedophore is.
1: Mm -hmm. And so
0: she made me, uh, instead of doing a cake, which that was kind of her specialty, she made me just tons of pedophores and it was, that was amazing. So I, yeah, so, I mean, just, yeah, I love sentimental, thoughtful touches like that. Me too um okay so number
1: four be sure you have enough dessert to feed all of your guests Um, wedding cakes are expensive and sometimes we find that we need to scale back on our original plans and go with a more realistic option that fits the budget um. But I encourage our listeners to get creative and think about how you can accommodate your guests and still fit your budget because I think a lot of people really do look forward to the cake or some sort of dessert at your event. Like Rachel alluded, a block of cheese is not going to cut it. It's not going to
0: cut it. Another pun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you (laughs) do. See, I'm so passionate about this that I didn't even get the pun until you said that. It's not going to cut it. Don't do it. Or just don't invite me to your reception. But <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I
1: agree with you. I get super excited about the cake, um, but you know, consider a couple of things. So you could opt for a smaller cake and you could supplement with, uh, like you said, Rachel cupcakes for your guests. Um, or you could go with a small showstopper on display in the reception venue, and then have a few sheet cakes for cutting behind the scenes to serve guests. A lot of people do that now. Um, it's a more, I guess, budget friendly option Um, and then you could also go with a smaller wedding cake and then have a mini dessert bar or like a donut wall. That Um, is cute. I've seen the donut wall. That is adorable. It is really cute, um, and I've also seen chocolate fountains with an assortment of fruit, pound cake, other small bites, um, and then I've also seen weddings do a big, uh, like a candy bar for kids, and you can create your own uh, goodie bags to go and fill them with treats, so get creative with it. There are lots of ways to kind of get people their their sweet fix. Um, But on the flip side of that, let's say you want a cake that is significantly bigger than the number of guests that will be in attendance. Maybe that's just your thing and you want a big showstopper. So, Rachel, I'm curious to know if you are aware that a lot of bakeries offer dummy cake tiers. Did you know that? Oh. So, these are tiers that are decorated as part of your cake um, to blend in and give the appearance of a big showstopper. But the dummy tier is actually just styrofoam covered in fondant and decorated to match all of the other tiers of the cake. Um, and so that blends in with the real cake. Um, and it's actually, it's not uncommon to do this. Um, and it's a really great idea to have a big cake at a small price point. And you don't need a lot of the extra cake if you don't have as, you know as many guests as, you know, a giant cake might feed so I thought that was kind of cool I know you and I are both not married so we haven't had to go through that experience of whether or not we want styrofoam in our
0: cake or hey, not. so look when you come to my wedding and it has like 20 guests and uh but the cake is like 15 tiers tall you'll know that they're all styrofoam <laughs> Would that be funny? Like if I had like a very intimate small wedding, which I I do plan to do, and then the cake is just like in the middle of the room and it's ostentatious <laughs> and, and like gigantic. I'll
1: do, yeah. I'll do a a layer with a big wheel of cheese covered in fondant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't stop laughing. We have I, now. I know we've lost our minds. <laughs> And styrofoam cakes. That is a great hack, though I will say.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Um, it, it is a good option. Fondant does a good job to cover that up. So, um, anyway, keeping with tradition, um, you know, the top layer is typically um saved and frozen to be eaten by the couple on their first wedding anniversary so whatever you do if you're getting married and you have a wedding cake be sure to have a top layer that you guys can um or a tier that you can save Um, I have heard mixed reviews on how well these hold up. Um, I've heard from some people it tastes about the same and I've heard from others that it's really kind of gross. What do you think right?
0: I've heard the exact same thing. Some people are like, gosh, it's aged better. It actually tastes better because <laughs> like on your wedding night, you're like you probably don't even have time to taste the cake. I mean you' you've got so much else going on. but um, I've also heard that it tastes disgusting and like they only took like one bite and then they tossed it.
1: Right, yeah. I I guess
0: probably it depends on, you know, how it's made and how you freeze it. Yep, totally agree.
1: So our last tip is to be sure the style of your cake matches the style of your wedding. When you're planning the colors and design and formality of your cake, just consider things like the venue, the dress, the time of day, the time of year, and the overall decor, uh, so a good example of this is, you know, Princess Eugenie's autumn-themed cake would have been a really odd choice for Meghan Markle's spring wedding, or uh, Queen Elizabeth's nine-foot cake might have been inappropriate for Charles and Camilla's civil ceremony and reception. Um, so, you know, it seems kind of obvious, but um, it's really important to remember that as well. And on that note, that wraps up our segment on royal wedding cakes. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, Rachel. It was uh, yeah, kind of my bitter.
0: stomach is rumbling right now. I'm starving. Um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that and had as much fun as we did. And we would love to come to your weddings, all of you, but if you serve cheese, let it be known that I'm going to have a problem with it. So don't say I didn't tell you, but that was fun. Thank you. That was really, really, really good. And I can't wait to see you put some pictures on the gram of these yes. kids. Especially will- Grace, uh, Princess Grace's cake. That's insane.
1: I know. Yeah, I'll definitely share them out this week. So listeners, like, comment, let us know your thoughts on Instagram. And um, super excited. Uh, Rachel and I actually have dinner plans tomorrow. I'm so, so
0: excited. I, like, I haven't seen you face to face in months. It's
1: well, at least not behind a, a camera, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, this doesn't count. Zoom does not count. So I can't wait to see you tomorrow. And uh, I hope you all enjoyed episode 26. We will catch up with you in a week. And we hope you have a really good day today. Bye. Bye.